There are two readings this evening. Um, The first one is from Philippians chapter 2, and starting at verse 5. In your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Christ himself was like God in everything. But he did not think that being equal with God was something to be used for his own benefit. But he gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He was born to be a man and became like a servant. And when he was living as a man, he humbled himself and was fully obedient to God, even when that caused his death, death on a cross. So God raised him to the highest place. God made his name greater than every other name, so that every knee will bow to the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And everyone will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and bring glory to God the Father. And the second reading is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? I will show you what everyone is like who comes to me and hears my words and obeys. That person is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the floods came, the water tried to wash the house away, but it could not shake it because the house was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not obey is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation. When the floods came, the house quickly fell and was completely destroyed. Great. I'll just pray for Tim before he speaks to us. Lord, we just thank you for Tim. Father, we thank you for the words that you have given him to speak to us today. And uh, I just pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts to receive what you've given him. Um, Just bless him mightily. Amen. Great. So um, if you're here for the first time tonight, we're we're kind of at the beginning of a series um, on Jesus, which is always a good thing to look at in church. (laughs) It's always reassuring when the vicar stands up and says he's going to be talking about Jesus. Um, and you may have heard lots of sermons on Jesus, but we, we sense that this is what God was calling us to do in order to stretch us in our understanding of who he is and challenge us and encourage us and draw us into deeper fellowship and relationship with him. So um, a couple of weeks ago I did an introduction. All our um, sermons are on the web, website and on iTunes, so www.widcombe.church. You can find stuff if you miss any of them. Um, and last week Jenny um, was speaking about Jesus as servant, um, and it was kind of looking at his nature, his character as servant, and kind of perhaps different from, from, ser- from servant sermons you may have heard before, which are all, all kind of often, Jesus is a servant, now go and be a servant, which is kind of right, but it's missing the heart transformation that actually when we encounter Jesus truly as servant in all his glory, it's a remarkable thing that transforms our hearts. And tonight, well, I'm speaking on kind of the next thing I think, next Uh, in our theme. The one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house 
on the ground without a foundation, who does not put them into practice. So tonight, amongst many other things, um, we're going to consider what it means to obey, which I would kind of contend is, is really truly about knowing Jesus as Lord. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, knowing Jesus as Lord. You, you perhaps heard in that passage, Luke 6:46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It's quite a challenging bit there. The, the, the text there um, reflects Jewish literary kind of language style of using a word twice to really emphasize it, to really emphasize and draw attention to what's being said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do what I say? It's perhaps going to be quite challenging. So we're speaking about obedience, not legalistic obedience, but kind of heartfelt obedience where we can't imagine doing anything else. So here's the question. Why, perhaps you don't find it hard to obey or even necessarily understand what it might mean, but what, what, do, we think it, what do we think it might mean to obey and why do we find it hard to obey? Has anyone here recently passed a driving test? Car driving test? A few of you, yeah. Now, if you just pass your test, there's that awkward moment where if you've got parents who are very kind of got a car, you kind of say, can I borrow the car now, mum, dad? And kind of blind panic passes across their eyes as they think of the potential cost. Well, there was this boy on his 17th birthday. Why do we find it hard to obey? There was this lad who was 17, um, and he approached his dad and says, Pops, I'm 17 now, so when I get my license, can I drive the family car? Can I have it to go out in the evenings? And his dad nervously laughed, probably, and says, well, son, driving the family car takes maturity, so you need to prove that you're reasonable enough for your mum and I to give you the car, to trust you. To which he says, yeah, 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 I can do that. Of course I can do that. So dad says, well, I can think of three things, three things, three things, three things to kind of show to your mum and I that you're mature and trustworthy enough just to give you the car. Firstly, I really think you probably need to bring your grades up a bit at school. I'm not sure how much you're trying, and actually, if you can kind of apply yourself a bit more and show that you're really working hard, then that will be helpful. The second thing is, it would be really great. We'd love you to get more into reading the Bible and kind of praying a bit and kind of have some quality time with God on your own. That would be a really good thing that would, you know, that would look really great. That would look like you're really trying to press on. And the third thing, if I'm really honest, you just need to get your hair cut. Son, you look a mess. It's a bit embarrassing when we go out. I know you think you're cool, but... Seriously, please get your hair cut. So a little while later, the son comes back, and, um, and he, he's, he's really excited. He comes in with a big smile, and he's got his grades for the end of uh, that term. And he shows them to his mum and dad and says, look, I've got all A's and B's. I worked really hard. I did apply myself. Um, I did much better than I did last time. I, you know, I've tried. And they say, yeah, we can see that. Right? That's brilliant. So you're a third of the way there, son. Well done. Uh, and he says, but, and also I've been really getting into the Bible. You know, I struggled at first, but I kind of found some really cool apps and I started kind of downloading some stuff and listening to some podcasts. And actually, I'm really loving it and, and I'm really going for it. And Dad says, yeah, that's great. We've noticed a difference. And um, that's brilliant. I'm loving the fact that you're praying more and reading the Bible more. And the son kind of thinks about the third thing. And um, he kind of sort of, he just decides that actually he's not really happy about this. So um, he sort of says, well, I decided that I didn't really, I know you said I needed to get my hair cut, but I was thinking about it, and um, I, I don't really want to, if I'm honest, I don't really need to. And I was thinking about it, and um, Jesus, he didn't cut his hair, did he? And the father says, no, that's probably true, son. And he walked everywhere as well. 
So, obedience. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. Obedience. Why do we find there's something in us that riles against kind of doing something that maybe is right, or maybe others want for a right reason, but there's something within us often wants to push back against it. I'm not talking about blind obedience, but I'm talking about maybe the kind of obedience that God asks of us. And deep down inside us, maybe we kind of pretend, la, 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 I can't hear that voice. I don't want to hear that voice right now. I think there is something in humanity that often pushes back against doing things. And often, if we're honest, maybe I'm just speaking about me, me as a man maybe, often looking for the quickest, easiest, simplest, minimum effort solution to get through. Do you know what I mean? To sidestep the really difficult challenges and the things that maybe are going to cost, I'd rather go for the comfortable easy ride. So for this guy who built this house on the rock and the sand, it's a really well-known story perhaps if you've been around church any time, do you think it was a strategic decision for that guy to build his house on the sand or kind of according to this gospel version, just kind of with no foundation? Do you think he really, really thought about it? Do you think he thought, yeah, I really like that idea. It's a really well thought out idea or plan. No, I don't think so at all. I think he was probably just lazy. And if we're honest, like many of us, couldn't be quite asked to put in that bit of extra effort to get the job done properly. And let's be honest, when both houses were built, I suspect they looked identical, didn't they? They both looked really good. Could you tell a difference? Well, probably not at first glance you couldn't. I mean, the guy who builds his house on the bare soil, he doesn't want to waste extra time, money and effort digging foundations. That's just hard work. You're never going to see him anyway. So he simply builds his house. It looks like a house. Probably um, looks as good as his neighbor's house, like I say. And who knows, it might have even looked better. I mean, he could spend his extra cash on Laura Ashley curtains and Ikea scatter cushions because he had a bit of cash left over, I would imagine, from building his house. He had enough probably for your big you know, 90-inch TV, your hot tub, the full works. He could really go to town on making it look great because he had finished early. He was happy. He's happy. It looks great. There he is, smiling, drinking his pims, while his neighbours next door, grafting away, sweating, still digging the foundations. And who knows? Maybe it'll last for a while, that house. Maybe it'll last for a long time. Because he doesn't know what's around the corner, does he? He doesn't know what's coming. None of us do in life. That is the reality of life. And the rest, as we say, if you know that story, is history. Living like this is when we live with or without an acknowledgement of who God might be, but definitely without truly allowing God any influence into the really deep parts of our lives. We kind of live on a superficial, everything looks right to everyone else kind of level. So, for example, we can say possibly that we're Christians and we recognize that Jesus is important and we can look very healthy. We can have a good house. On the outside, everything looks polished and neat and tidy polished lives, polished words, even polished deeds, we function, fit in with other Christians around us, we can look the part, even in church, perfectly lovely human beings leading good lives, because all looks well above ground. That's where our effort, that's where our concern can often be channeled. But Jesus' warning here is really stark. His warning is about the danger of building life this way. And it actually is quite troubling what he says. Because when a crisis comes, and trust me, it will come. Some of you have already experienced this. They do come. Crises of all sorts, storms of all sorts come and rage against us. It may be soon, or it may be at the end of our lives. 
if there are no true foundations to what we've said with our mouths, life can and will come crashing down. Listen to the, to the NIV version. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. There's no half measure in this story with Jesus. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? So what does Jesus mean about putting his words into practice? What does he mean about obeying? Someone once said, Christ doesn't simply want our words, he wants our works. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Now something at this point can kick into us, deep down, and we can, we can start saying, oh, well, it just sounds a bit restrictive, a bit onerous, it's a bit legalistic, isn't it, Tim? And I think that's the point. It's exactly all about not being legalistic. I think we only have to look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Scripture to see what this can look like. The Pharisees wanted to preserve the law of God. That in itself perhaps was not a bad thing. It's quite a good thing. But a good thing taken too far because they then added thousands and thousands of rules, actually not found in the Torah. Rules to obey, rules to keep God happy, rules to try and win God's approval. And these man-made rituals and traditions made it impossible for a human being to keep them. You could only ever fail. For example, um, a Jew couldn't even spit on the ground on Sabbath because it would make a tiny hole in the dust. It might only be a few hundredths of a centimetre deep, but that was considered digging a hole on the Sabbath. That was work. I, it seems laughable, crazy, doesn't it? So if, if, if that's happening, then no wonder you couldn't keep the law. The Sadducees, too, I don't know if you know anything about the Sadducees, they had a deeply conservative outlook on obeying God and only accepted the written law of Moses. They interestingly also, I don't know if you know this, they didn't believe in the resurrection, which is pretty depressing, which is why I guess they were sad, you see. You can keep that and use that one later. That's a good one. Write that one down. So they're in this bondage of kind of always feeling... Like they're longing to please God, but they know they can't. And, and, and judging everyone around them for not obeying God. But listen to what Jesus says to the Sadducees. He says this. He, he, he charges them, says, you're ignorant about two things. You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You know, you can know the letter of the law. You can know the rules. You can even do all you can to try and live up to those, to be good, to live a holy life, seem pleasing and honourable to God, and yet entirely, tragically, not recognise the one who was in fact the fulfilment of the law. They didn't recognise Jesus who he was, therefore they didn't call him Lord, even though in his own words in in Matthew 5, he was the fulfilment of the law. Doing dead works, not recognising the lordship of Jesus. And therefore, to not recognize him or bow down to him in worship as Lord is heartbreaking. You can know the letter of the law. You can know all about the rules. And it's up here. But our hearts aren't transformed. And, you can, and perhaps at that point, we don't truly know or acknowledge the author of the law, the one who came as the word made flesh. And although we can point the fingers at the Sadducees and the Pharisees and say, oh, they were just so legalistic, actually the same true can be true for us. Because God doesn't simply want our actions, our deeds. He longs for our hearts. That's the real deal. That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we do church. That's why I'm a vicar. 
because I long to see my heart and our hearts yielded to Christ. 1 Samuel 15, 22. In many ways, this is a really simple sermon tonight, which is always really good news. Oh, Amy. I was reading 1 Samuel 15, 22 recently. So, so Samuel, he's been called to anoint the king, and Saul is king. And Saul's trying to do the right thing as king. He's trying to listen to God. But there's this really um, damning verse where Samuel comes to Saul in verse 22, 1 Samuel 15. Saul's really blown it. And this is what Samuel says to Saul. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. See, we can sometimes, even as Christians, if you know the Lord, we can kind of do these gestures or even if we're not Christians, you know, we can, we can try and do good things and we can try and kind of lay down our lives and we can give to the poor and we can be really involved in things. And all of those things are great, but sometimes it's like we're trying to win approval. Sometimes it's trying to make ourselves feel better. Or sometimes it's done from this deep set kind of sense of worthlessness that we feel we've got to try and win someone's approval. We've got to try and make ourselves have meaning. And yet Jesus is saying it's not about doing a load of stuff. It's about obeying, obeying my heart and knowing my heart. To obey is better than sacrifice. And whilst thinking of this, this verse, this kind of verse kept coming back to me this week, to obey is better than sacrifice. What does it mean to truly obey you, Lord? Not just in the small things, but in every single bit of my life. Because I have to ask myself a difficult question. Do I obey Jesus in everything? In the commands that he spoke over us to love our neighbours as ourselves, to love our enemies, to give to the poor? Am I doing it out of the right reason? To love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind? Man, am I really obeying that one? Have I got an undivided heart yielded to him? To love one another, to yield to one another, to prefer one another, to honour one another. Am I obeying what he said to me? And the things in my life where he's told me perhaps to forgive or where he's told me to go and seek reconciliation with someone, where he's asked me to try and mend bridges, have I obeyed in those small things? Because I know there have been times in my life when God has told me to do something, and I know for a fact he, he hasn't been willing to tell me anything else until I've obeyed what he's told me to do. And I keep back going, I've, you know, I remember those times in my life where I kept going back to God saying, tell me something else, Lord, <laughs> tell me something different. I'll do that one, maybe I'll get along to the other one later. And, and heaven was kind of silent for a while. And then I heard the Father say, well, do the thing I've asked you to do. Do that first. I wonder what God might have asked you about. To obey is better than sacrifice. It reminded me of a song, and I'm going to play this song. Um, and it's by a guy called Keith Green, who some of you will know. All you young ones probably don't know him. He's a guy who um, probably transformed my spiritual journey. He, he's dead. He actually died in 1982 in a plane crash. It's a tragic story, but it's an incredible story as well. He was, um, he was a musician, secular musician, I think Jewish background actually, um, kind of dabbled in just about every drug known to man, dabbled in all sorts of spirituality, was kind of all out there, and then quite amazingly got saved and wrote lots of worship songs. Um, some of them we still sing occasionally today. They've still got, got real power in them. And in many ways, he, he was a performer, and he was also a prophet in his day. He would sing these songs that carried more than just kind of nice words. They were a real challenge to the church, a challenge to many of us. And although 
some, sometimes it can seem a bit dated because we're going back to like, you know, way when I was, you know, far before I was a twinkle in my parents' eye, back to the 1970s. <laughs> um, I was very young. Um, I heard these songs later on and they kind of jumped deep down within me. I'm going to play one of these songs in a moment. There's a book you can read about his life called No Compromise, written by his wife, Melody Green, after he died. It was all his diary. And I remember reading this book when I was about 18 and challenged by his passion for Jesus and his desire not to just get sucked into institution or just get sucked into religion or ritual or just following a bunch of set of rules. He was determined to know Jesus and lay his life down for Jesus and give everything for Jesus. He wrote one song called I Pledge My Head to Heaven for the Gospel. I pledge my wife to heaven for the gospel. I pledge my children to heaven. I, I, I give all I am. I give everything I have. I give the most precious things I have to Jesus because that's what it means to make him Lord, to not hold back and say, yeah, I, I do trust you, Jesus, but I want to keep control of this. He was someone who radically said, no, I'm not prepared to do that. We either, get, we either make Jesus Lord or we don't. And he was certainly an inspiration to me and to many, many, many thousands. And in a moment, I'm going to play a video. Now, bear in mind, I think this is probably um, in the, uh, in the 19, end of the 1970s, maybe. Um, he was so radical, he, he, he would give his albums away, much to his record company's annoyment. He would say, if you haven't got money, just take an album and give what you can. Uh, incredible amount of heart because he believed that God wanted to touch people's hearts and he wasn't going to make money out of it. So in this video, you'll see him with a kind of big hair and big beard. Miles, where are you? You here? Miles, you'll love him. Actually, you look a bit like a Welsh version of him. He kind of did the whole hipster thing before hipsters were hip. Um, and he took, in this video, you're gonna, you'll, you'll hear him talking a bit. And he talks, about, and then he starts singing. He talks about, it's one of his live concerts. I found this video online. He talks about life as a Christian. He talks about our attitudes as Christians. He talks about his attitude. For example, his attitude to giving, to tithing, you know, where you give 10% of your money. And he talks about his attitude when he writes a check to give to the church and the pain he goes through. And this song reflects his wrestling with those things. Let's just play this video. To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't need your money. I want your life. And I hear you say that I'm coming back soon, but you act like I'll never return. It's not kind of comfortable words sometimes, but it's deeply powerful, I think, and prophetic to us. What might it look like if we gave every single area of our lives to Jesus, our whole lives, our whole hearts, our past, our money, our debt, our possessions, our dreams, our gifts, our relationships, our aspiration, our time, our talents, our brokenness, our strengths, everything, every bit. To make him Lord, to know him as Lord. Because I think you can only really truly know him as Lord if you make him Lord and you yield to him. And the weird truth is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord already. In one sense, you don't make him Lord. You can't make him Lord. God did that already. But our response in the light of all that we heard Jenny share last week, all of who we know Christ to be, the king of all the universe, 
who surrendered and lowered himself as a servant. Our response must be to fully, not partially, not conditionally, not intermittently, but utterly submit to his lordship. How else can we do that? Anything but that, when we know who he truly is. And it's his love that compels us to do it. He doesn't lean on us. He doesn't shout at us. He doesn't beat us up. He tries to draw us with his love. And he's already shown how much he loves us. By this, we know that Christ loves us because he hung on a cross for us. And he continues to pour out his grace and mercy to us every single day. He wants the best for you. He's got a purpose for you that's unique. He wants to set you in a family so that you feel loved and welcomed and accepted and and that you can excel in your gifts and discover more about who you truly are, that you're loved by the eternal God of all creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that wants to give you gifts and bear fruit in your life. His love compels us to yield to him. Love that's sacrificial, love servant-hearted, supreme love that compels us to bow the knee and recognize him for who he truly is. Because he's not simply some nice, smiley, kind guy, Jesus, that wants to make, who wants to make your life a little bit happier and slightly more complete, that makes you feel fluffy on a Sunday when you enjoy singing worship songs. He's so much more than that, but sometimes that's what we lower him to become. As Keith Green said, he wants more than our Sunday nights and Wednesday nights. See you at pastor this Wednesday. He loves that. But he wants so much more. In the same way that I, with my children, I don't want to just have a formal relationship where I see them briefly over tea and then I encourage them to get on with their lives. I want to be their father. I want to relate to them. I miss them when they're not there. I long for them. You know, sometimes as, as a parent, you get to kind of go away for a weekend and you think, oh, I could get away from the kids. And I know the minute I arrive at where I am, I want to phone my kids. I can say this because Sarah's not here. It drives her mad. <laughs> but I miss them when they're not there because they're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. They're, they're, they're my kids. Well, how much more is it with your Father in heaven for each of you? He loves you. He longs for you. He yearns for you. Jesus yearns that you might know him as Lord, not because he wants to lord it over you, but because he wants to be involved in every area of your life so that he can bring his kindness and goodness and transformation into it, that he can bring his comfort in the midst of all your pain when you're suffering. Philippians 5, 9 to 11 says it's because of his surrender. You know, that passage that we heard, Because of his supreme surrender, all of his nature to the place of the lowest servant, humbling self to a willingness to yield to crucifixion, where he carries in his body the unqualified, entire, absolute brokenness and sin of all human history, of all peoples, of all time, that tells us, as it says in Philippians, explains why God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Greek word here for Lord 
is kurios. It means supreme authority, controller, master. Every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. You know, one day every tongue will confess he's Lord. Why don't we start now to call him Lord, but not live in submission to him, to his ways, to his, dem- his commands, his utter hypocrisy. And I know there have been times in my life when I've called him Lord, but I haven't meant it. I've meant it in my, on my terms, on my time scale, with restrictions and caveats. I did a law degree, so I'm quite good at making exceptions. Uh, you are Lord, but there's just this area you need to understand that I need to look after right now. I might yield it to you one day, but for the moment, we'll do a deal. You leave it alone, Lord, and I'll be good. It's, it's nonsense, isn't it? Tonight, I ask this question of my own heart again for each of you. Will you yield to Jesus as Lord? And this is a, perhaps it's a simple sermon, but I think it's a challenging one. Will you yield to the Lord? And it's challenging, I think, as I've thought about it today particularly, because I think the answer is either yes or no. It is that black and white. Is Jesus truly Lord? Because if it's partial, then he's not truly Lord. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about that sort of stuff. But I'm, truly, I'm talking about truly knowing him as Lord of your life. Holy Spirit, will you help us trust you? We should trust you. You've laid down your life for us. Jesus, you've given everything everything and if every single one of us in this room was the only people in all of creation you would have done nothing differently you would have yielded your life for that one soul and on the cross you hung there knowing who we are knowing our mistakes knowing our brokenness knowing our propensity to hold things away from you not because we don't really trust you because we do but because we're scared so often Jesus we're scared what you might say about our jobs or our relationships, or our money, or our time. Because we don't trust you enough, and we're sorry for that, Jesus. We want and long to make you Lord. Because you are perfect, you're good in every way, you're just, you're true. But we know that we've been messed up by relationships and peoples, and and sometimes it makes it hard to trust, because we haven't been given great examples. But Jesus, you are perfection, you are the fulfillment of the law. We can trust you in every way, in every area. There's no shadow in you. There's no brokenness in you. There's no deception in you. There's no harm in you. You are perfect, flawless, radiant, glorious, full of light, prince of peace, king of kings, lord of lords. How could we not bend the knee to you and say, yes, Lord, Lord and master? I'm going to close with one final song, and then I'm just going to pray for us. It's another Keith Green song. Sorry. (laughs) Usually when I listen to Keith Green on my own, I have to make sure I'm on my own because I usually cry because often they're so deeply challenging for me. This song is a really simple song. Some of you might know the tune. He's singing it live, so there's some slightly different words that some of you may not know. But it's a song that's called Lord, You're Beautiful. Because making Jesus Lord 
can't really begin up here in our head, I don't think. We can, we can think, oh, yes, it'd be a good idea to make Jesus Lord, but it has to happen down here in our hearts. And I think it happens down here in our hearts because we've had an encounter with him. It's when we meet Jesus and when we're overwhelmed and a bit like Thomas. You know, Thomas, he was desperate to put his fingers in Jesus' hands. He wanted to believe, but he struggled. And Jesus is beautiful, isn't he? He doesn't beat him up over this. He actually bothers to come back to meet Thomas. And he shows him his hands. And I don't think he was going, Nah, I told you so. Go on, stick him in then. I don't think that was Jesus. I think he was really willing to hold out his hands so that if Thomas needed to touch his wounds, he was willing even to do that. Imagine the king of creation. Thomas says, this is what you need. That's fine. That's the love of Jesus. He doesn't beat Thomas up for his doubt. But do you notice Thomas's response when Jesus is simply there in the room? It's actually one of the most profound statements of faith in Scripture. I love it because so many of us are Thomases. And Thomas gets such a bad rap, doesn't he? Yeah, doubting Thomas. That's his name. When Jesus simply stands before him and says, Thomas, I'm here. He falls to his knees and says, my Lord and my God. He makes him Lord. When we meet Jesus, when we truly meet him, not at a distance, but when we encounter him, whether it's in worship or prayer or on our own, then our hearts are transformed and we make him Lord. And this song is a heart cry from Keith Green, saying, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek. So when my eyes are on this prize, then, you know, when I see you, Jesus, then everything begins to make sense. At the beginnings of this song, he just starts, he, he talks before he sings it, he talks of the hardness of his heart. I wonder how many of you here, maybe your heart feels hardened. Sometimes that's by wrong choices. Sometimes it's by the wounds of others. Sometimes it's by the experiences that we've had. Our heart gets hardened. Sometimes life just is gritty and we feel hardened and tough. And sometimes that can affect our relationship with God. And he, he, Keith Green recognizes this and he, he says, look, I just want my heart to be soft again. He says, I want it to be skin like a baby. If you've ever held a baby, just the skin so, so tender, so gentle, so soft, and he, so yielding to touch. And, and Keith Green said, I want my heart to be like the skin of a baby again. I want to be soft-hearted to you. Because it's so easy to grow cold towards God. A coal taken from a fire that's glowing and red hot and laid on the side in a matter of seconds can be cool enough to pick up with your fingers. It seems remarkable, seems impossible. A red hot coal, take it out of the fire, put it on its own, and literally in seconds it can lose its heat and you can pick it up. Don't go home and try that. It does. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like you've fallen out of the fire and you feel cold, you feel hard. You feel a lost, you feel alone. Well, church family is a way of helping you to connect to one another. This is the body of Christ. But it also helps connect to him, to feel reconciled to him. And maybe you need to do that tonight, to make him Lord again, to feel, Lord, I need to be close to you, to receive from you your goodness, your kindness, your light, your holiness. So I want us just to, we're going to turn the lights out. We're just going to use this song.